Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Oh, Kevin, it's lovely being here talking with you again. Isn't it? Yeah. Just the two of us, I assume? (laughs) No, no, no. Our old pal, Evan Grant's also joining us. Hello, Evan. Hi, guys. How are you? You guys are sure perky. That's all I know. I tell you what. Y'all weren't quite this chipper. Eerily chipper. Yeah. I, I, you know, because we are, I'm now that we're in this whole multimedia platform business, I've been studying a lot of my TV and and radio colleagues very closely. And, you know, Eric Nadell always writes, did I tell you this? Eric Nadell always writes in his scorebook, smile, and it reminds him to speak with a smile in his voice. And he's always pleasant. You never hear Eric sound down, even when the Rangers are getting trounced, right? And then the other day, I was watching Leslie McCaslin on the on the Insider on Rangers Insider, and she's managing to smile all the time, talking about the Rangers. And I'm like, okay, this is something I've got to do. I've got to come out of my ogre and be more pleasant. Well, You're not going to make appreciate- it through the podcast. You will yeah, not okay. make it to the end of this podcast. I, you know, here's the thing, Evan. Just in general life, you should be pleasant. You don't. You know that that's the, that's the issue here. We don't care if you're pleasant about the Rangers. We just want you to be pleasant in general. Just when no, you're no, talking no, that, to us, that's, that's asking far too much. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I figured. Okay, all right, fellas. That's enough about the the moodometer today. Uh, let's let's move over to stuff that people actually want to hear about, uh, and uh, that'll I think be. I'd like to know about the. Did you say noodle meter? Moodometer. Oh, moodometer. Yeah, you would turn that into a noodle meter. This is not. We're not food based here. Although we could talk about, and at some point in this podcast, we will talk about the the winners at the uh, at the Big Tech's Choice Awards. Oh, you have them in uh, front of you. Year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're good. So we'll 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 talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about the Cowboys, um, David. So uh, have the Cowboys found their left tackle now that Tyron Smith is going to be out until about two thousand forty-two? Well, I, you know, um, there was there was all this consternation and discussion, and and well, what what decision are the Cowboys going to make? And and I would argue sometimes you don't have a decision. The situation just forces you to make the move that's in front of you. And in my mind, that's what's happening with Tyler Smith. Uh, The first round pick will, will swing out uh, for left tackle for Tyron Smith, who best case scenario will be back in December. And that is best case scenario. I think we need to underline that. Um, So, you know, when they drafted, Tyler Smith, they declared, uh, Jerry Jones declared, because I don't know if you know this, Evan, but but Jerry likes to declare things from time to time. Uh, I know you don't have that with uh, Rangers ownership as much, but... Um, you actually, know, Rangers ownership this month <laughs> did actually make a declaration. <laughs> they did make a few statements. Yeah, came out of his cave. After a long and, silence. And we'll get back to that, David, but I mean, they were actually un- easier to understand sometimes than, <laughs> than Jerry. So anyway, please go on. Well, again, I think we know what the bar is there, too. So I don't know that that was uh, <laughs> much of a uh, revealing for uh, Ray Davis to be more understandable than uh, Jerry Jones. But uh, no, Jones and, and the Jones family was talking about, you know, how this was uh, they viewed him as the long term replacement for uh, Tyron Smith, that this was their left tackle in waiting. Um, but, you know, 
their ideal scenario was for uh, Tyler Smith to move inside to left guard next to Tyron Smith, uh, learn that position, get his feet under him, start the season at left guard. And then my belief was as the season went along in practice, when uh, the portion of practice that is away from the prying eyes of the media that Tyler Smith was going to work in at left tackle more and more to kind of get that experience to swing outside. Because, you know, Tyron Smith, we're talking about a guy who's missed at least three games uh, every year since 2016. So there was there was a belief that, look, Tyler Smith's going to have to swing out to left tackle this year, but let's just not thrust it on him from the start. Let's get him up to speed, build his confidence, playing left guard, and then we'll go from there. Well, the reality turned out to be that Connor McGovern withheld the challenge of Tyler Smith at left guard. Uh, he wasn't going to open the season as a starter at left guard. Uh, Connor McGovern was. And now suddenly your first round pick is sitting there and may not play early in the season. Then Tyron Smith goes down with his hamstring pulls from his uh, knee. And now Tyler Smith, who wasn't ready to start at left guard, is really going to start the season at left tackle by default. Yeah, that's that's what made this look bad, really, isn't it? If if you brought Tyler Smith in and you just worked him at left tackle, or and maybe with the idea that he could be the swing tackle, something like that, and something along those lines, it probably wouldn't have looked so bad. But when you started him out of left guard, and then he can't beat out a guy whose best position is fullback, then it then it kind of makes you look bad uh, from that standpoint. And it seemed like a little bit too that everybody wasn't on the same page. I don't know that Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones liked the fact that Mike McCarthy was saying, well, yeah, uh, really Connor McGovern was going to beat him out here at left guard if we started uh, right today. And so I just it just made the Cowboys look a little bit, as usual, like, well, we really weren't prepared for all of this. Uh, and, and now we're a little out of, out of place. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I will say that this isn't a defense. It's just an explanation. I, I think it was very hard. I think it's been very difficult for them to get their arms around what is the best way to proceed and cover and have insurance for Tyron Smith. Because normally when a player gets Tyron's age in his 30s, has had this injury history, you know, not even counting this season, but in the previous two years, He's played in 13 games and missed 19 games. And so normally at that stage, the end is sooner rather than later, right? And and the player skill set has started to deteriorate to the point where a team is comfortable saying, let's get somebody in here. Let's make this transition before we have no choice to make it. But to me, what complicated it was when Tyron Smith was on the field, he was still one of the five best left tackles in the game. And, you know, in fact, last year he went to the Pro Bowl in playing only 11 games, uh, which shows you how dominant he was. So they, you had this odd mix of, okay, he missed games and you know physically the wear and tear is getting to him. But when he's actually on the field, you're not his replacement is not going to be better than what he's giving you. So... How do you replace him? How much money do you spend on a veteran swing tackle? Do you And the Cowboys decided, look, we'll just bring in a young guy who we know is going to take over at some point and we'll operate under the assumption that you know Tyron Smith is going to miss time. But here's the thing. For all the time Tyron Smith has missed 
over his career, especially these last two years and the last five years, if you want to extend it to that, he has always been available to start a season. This is the first time in his career he's unable to start a season. So the injuries came into the season, and I, I think the I think the Cowboys were just hoping that blueprint was going to play out, give Tyler Smith a little bit more time. But yeah, you're right. I mean, here's a first round pick in the off season. He split time between left tackle and left guard. In fact, about sixty percent of his snaps in the off season were at left tackle. But when they got to camp, they thought, you know. He's not going to beat out Connor McGovern unless we give him all the snaps at left guard. We've got to give him his best opportunity to win this job. So let's just force feed him at left guard. And now because of this injury to Tyron Smith, it's kind of come back to bite him. Yeah, it's not just at left tackle that there's a problem in the offensive line either. Yeah, uh, no, no. This, this, this position, which was once a strength, Jason Garrett built it into that. Uh, that's what they built. The, the whole identity of their team was around that offensive line, which at one time was considered the greatest in the world. So uh, what we have seen, though, is a gradual decline of all of that. Uh, players have come and gone, guys that they've drafted and tried to replace uh, didn't really work out. <clears throat> they let – Lyle Collins walk. They let Connor Williams walk. Um, and now Tyler Biotich is a center. No one's crazy about his uh, production at that position. Connor McGovern has been somewhat of a disappointment up to now, except when he's playing fullback. And now he apparently will be the left guard. Terrence Steele, a guy that was uh, not a big time uh, uh, talent coming into the league. Uh, not has- even drafted. Not yeah. even drafted, uh, has ended up being the right tackle kind of by default. I, I think he certainly has played above his pay grade. There's no question about that. Uh, but I don't know how good of a player we think he is. I still, I'm still a little mystified by the whole uh, idea of letting Lyle Collins walk. I, you know, Jerry has kind of intimated that it was just all about availability. You know that maybe that he wasn't trying to start. And so he goes to Cincinnati, has barely even played in camp. Uh, there uh, as well, but they're still talking about how great he has looked since he did come back. Uh, I, I think that this team could really use Lyle Collins right now. So uh, my point is, is that besides that inexperience across the the, the starters, there's also not any, any real experience among the backups. Um, it's there's it's a very inexperienced offensive line, and then you know there's always there's been a formula in college football anyway that a lot of team successes are measured by the number of starts that you have in an offensive line. The more starts you have, the better chances you have of winning. There's, you know, people have, have tried this formula out. It used to work really well. I, I haven't uh, really kept up with it over the last five or ten years, but at, at one time it, it was pretty accurate. Uh, in this Cowboys offensive line, they wouldn't get you very far in this league if, the, if you were defining how good you were going to be by the number of starts in it. And no, it's all invested in Zach Barton, who is your lone Pro Bowl anchor now in this line. Uh, but there's only so many ills and sins he can cover for, right, uh, when you're talking about five positions uh, across the line. And, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned this, too. It, it, it's, it's the depth as well. There's no proven depth behind these guys. And the Cowboys don't often, and when I say don't often, I mean never listen to me as far when it comes to personnel <laughs> decisions. But I still don't see how they – look, even though a, a veteran swing tackle will not be on the 
on the 53, which they reach a little bit later today. We're, we're uh, doing this broadcast on a Tuesday morning podcast. Uh, by Tuesday afternoon, they'll have their initial 53. Uh, but I, I just don't see how they can go into the season or, or deep into the season without getting a veteran swing tackle. And I would also say, you know, if Tyler Smith struggles early here, um, that you can turn over to a veteran swing tackle to start for a few games to maybe give, you know, Tyler Smith a little bit more time in practice to get up to speed. I think, I think because of how Tyler Smith has been handled, uh, I think fans would actually understand if like, well, okay, he really struggled here. They did him no favors in getting him prepared for the regular season. Let's let him step back for two or three weeks. Let the the, the swing tackle and they work him in slowly, and then it goes sw- the position swings back to him starting. Uh, I, I think I think not only in the best interest of the team, but in the best interest of the development of Tyler Smith, that is a good way to go. So I would anticipate a, a swing tackle being signed uh, here in in the next couple of weeks. So let me ask you guys a question. We just spent 10 minutes on tackle trouble. Sure. Um, every, it, because the offensive line is sexy. That's what that's what fans want to talk about. And well, and that's my point. Like, how do you think that this is going to change the perception, the, the national perception, or even the local perception and expectations of what this team should be this year? Because it's a significant problem, but how does it change the view? Sure, it's a significant problem, but... Uh, all good teams are going to have a significant problem at some position in the salary cap world if, if you're hit by an injury. You can't cover everything. You're uncovered at some position, whether it's a skill position or a, or a premium line position like left tackle. I, I, think, I think the initial reaction on, on Tyron Smith being out is, well, this, you know, let's reassess where the Cowboys are. They're not going to be nearly as good, um, you know, that, you know, this, then you look at the rest of the offensive line and go, okay, where do they get relief? How do they uh, still keep this thing going offensively? And I understand that, but I, I think some of that will be an overreaction to bad things. When bad things happen to the Cowboys, since they have underachieved in the postseason for so long, people assume it's going to be worse than what it is to, to, to overcome. And um, I, I think... I think you overcome this by a lot of how they prepared for the offseason. Uh, they, they tried to get their running game back on track. They're going to run more. Uh, I think when you have a rookie left tackle, what do you do? You run t- more two tight end sets. Uh, Jake Ferguson, their fourth-round pick, has shown he can be a wonderful complement to uh, Dalton Schultz. So um, I, I just think you alter your offensive approach and then remember the thing that's best about this team is the defense, and that's probably going to lead the way for you, especially early in the season. So I think you just go about winning differently if you're really constructed in a way where you're a good team. And, and I do believe Dallas is a good team in a conference that is the inferior conference. So I don't think they're as good now, certainly without Tyron Smith, but but I don't think we should radically change expectations for what this club should do. Does it alter either one of your one loss predictions? Yeah, I, I, it might mind. You know, I was probably going to say ten or eleven wins. I might, I might say nine now. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm willing to. Uh, I, I want to see what they're going to do this week and and uh, and how they uh, replace people in the offensive line. I just think that you know it's going to require Dak Prescott to do a lot more heavy lifting. Uh, and 
and I, and I, that's the question for me is, is he ready for that? Um, you know, well, if he's not ready now, he's not ever going to be ready. Right. What is this? Well, that's that's Fifth right. Six year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is, this is the time for him to really show up. If he's going to be that quarterback, I think, you know, in a lot of ways we'll find out, uh, and, and of course that's what we hear from fans all the time. He's not ready to take that next step. They all look at that last game against San Francisco. And certainly that was a, uh, an embarrassment the way that the game and that season ended, uh, trying to get off that last play. And I think that, uh, as a matter of fact, bringing that up, that you, you have something you'd like to mention about what Jerry Jones said. Uh, well, I just like the turn. I'm, I'm the newcomer here. I've only been here 26 years. <laughs> um, uh, you guys have much more experience, uh, both being here more than 30 years. So uh, I still sometimes struggle understanding what Jerry's saying. And when he went on the on the fan this morning and uh, said about the 49ers loss, he said, I don't want to dwell on it, but I do want it to burn in our minds. I want to make sure we remember how bad it did feel. I like continually reminding that we need to not only get into the playoffs, but we need to get way deep. And so my question for you guys is, it sounds like he does want to dwell on it. That that's exactly what he's doing, is he's dwelling on it. No, he's letting it burn. Burning is, is worse than dwelling, isn't it? Yeah. What that the burn. I would rather dwell than burn. It's, it sounds like he wants to give him a tattoo about it. I don't I don't know. Uh, I, I would say that, the, that, that yeah, that this is – this is first of all we all, we all know how optimistic Jerry always is, right? He always wants to think that everything's going to be fine. But he also is very conscious of fans and what fans are are doing and saying and thinking and he knows how fans felt about the ending of that season. He knows how fans might feel about going into this one with all the uh um these problems now that have cropped up in the offensive line and the lack of depth at wide receiver. And so he's trying to to sell something here and he wa- and he knows that all that really matters to fans is how deep are we, are we going to get in the playoffs? Because you had a good regular season last year, and, and, it, and it ended with a huge flop against the 49ers. Uh, so that so it doesn't mean anything. But yeah, you know, Evan hit hit on an interesting point here, which one I find fascinating in and of itself. But you know, Jerry in the past, after these other postseason losses, has always been forward looking, right? It's always been, well, look, we're going to build on that. This is this shows we're moving in the right direction. We're poised to take a step from here. This is different. This one, he left his head coach twisting in the wind for 12 days afterwards. Um, and, and, you know, actually encouraged all this uh, speculation uh, publicly about what he was going to do and how upset he was and could this could this mean something for Mike McCarthy and and it, we've seen him approach this differently and he still talks about this he talked about it in the opening press conference when they got to Oxnard as Evan said he talked about it today on the radio uh, I've heard him mention it two or three times over the course of training camp this continually coming back to the loss to San Francisco in the first round last year. And and the other reason it it really, uh, to to borrow an old Jerry phrase, sticks in his craw is because the team was healthy. The team was relatively healthy. All of their key players were in place. It was at home. Um, They had the best record in the conference. You know, in fact, they had a better conference record than any team in the NFL last year. 
So everything was poised for them to make a run last year in a conference that was wide open, and they didn't do it again. And it's the accumulative effect. Uh, you go back, you know, look, they were 12-5 and five last year. There have only been three teams in Jerry Jones' tenure that had a better regular season record. Uh, that, that won more than 12 games. So, and go back to those other times. The last two, they were 13 and three out the first time they played a game. And, and I think that accumulative effect uh, has just really gotten to Jerry, especially at this age. And he's going, every time we have a chance, we don't capitalize on it. What are we going to have to do? So I think he's, he's getting across to the players. Look, you blew it last year. Uh, do you really want to do that again? We can't afford to do that again. So it's a, in my mind, it's a different approach than Jerry's taken in, in a long, long time. Well, he probably needs a different approach. Uh, I don't think there's any question yeah. about that. None of the other ones seem to be working. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for our the Cowboys segment of our podcast. We're going to move over now to uh, uh, college and high school football. Uh, high school football started up last weekend. I went out and saw uh, my kids uh, on a modern Hillcrest play and a very exciting game. They ended up losing in overtime. But I will say that a Hillcrest receiver caught a touchdown. I was standing down by the fence talking to a few parents, and uh, and uh, this kid made a one-handed catch in the end zone, leaping, got one foot down. The best catch I've ever seen from 15 feet away. I will say that. It was very entertaining to see that. So it was fun that high school football has started up. Uh, college football will uh kind of started up didn't really start it for nebraska against northwestern uh but that was a that was a true of, week zero well, they had a good they had a good camp of puking yeah that apparently a lot, a lot of puking going on in that nebraska camp there was uh, a lot Scott of puking Frost. going on and that was apparently a good thing and then they didn't show up against northwestern and then just continue to remind everybody really worked out well for nebraska to leave the big 12 really a good yeah. idea on their part yeah, um, that is. Things have not worked out since then. There's no question hey, about that. Before we move into college football, Kevin, I I do want to just mention um, <clears throat> the two columns that you've written on high school football over the last two weeks, which have been outstanding, and people hopefully um, will give them a read on how the town of Uvalde um, and its. I think this is the 50th anniversary of their state championship team. Correct. Yes. Um, and and how that is trying that is helping the, the town heal a little bit. And also you went back and, and did a, a look at, at Gary Gaines, the coach from Friday night lights and Odessa Permian and, and his life. And I, I, I just wonder, like, those are two really different stories, um, but they were really well told. And what stood out for you about both of the, about both of those stories? Oh, I, I, you know, the, the Uvalde story, I, I did not realize it was the 50th anniversary of, of their um, state championship game. They won in 1972. They won the Class 3A state title um, until it was brought up to me by one of our editors. Uh, and it, it seemed like a kind of a no-brainer kind of a story to do. Uh, and so I went down there uh, a couple of weeks ago and and, uh, and visited the town. I'd never been to Uvalde before and talked to uh, the guys who – live in that town uh still that were on that state championship team and you know there there's just so much there in that town right now it's just kind of almost unbearable the 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 pain of everything that happened there and, and you know there's a palpable sense of should we really celebrate anything 
you know, at this point uh, because of everything that's happened. And, and so uh, there was a, uh, I, I felt really bad for them from the standpoint of every time I asked them a question, they would just kind of wander through an answer. And it was, you could just tell, this is really difficult for these people. They just don't know what to do. And and how would you know what to do? They never faced anything like that. And hopefully they would never have to face anything like that again. It's a terrible feeling. Uh, but I do hope that they get some sense of of, of joy out of that. Uh, they, they're supposed to have uh, this weekend, as a matter of fact, that they're going to celebrate that. Uh, they're going to have a parade, and the and that the players from that 50th anniversary team are going to be the grand marshals of that parade. So that, that should be uh, at least something nice for them. And I hope that it all goes off well. Uh, as far as Gary Gaines, uh, uh, I didn't really know Gary. I'd, I'd only talked to him maybe once or twice in the years that he was at Odessa Permian. You know, he was only there for four years, 86 through 89. Uh, he was, uh, though, the fifth of a string of coaches of each one of the coaches won a state championship and built that mojo machine uh, at Odessa Permian. So it was quite a uh, an animal that was presented to him, and he did, obviously, in 1988 when Buzz Bissinger uh, came to town to spend a year in Odessa and then wrote his classic book, Friday Night Lights. Uh, and uh, it's a seminal sports book. You know, it's it's up there in the top 10 probably sports books that have ever been written. Uh, I remember when it came out, I felt bad about the fact that this was right under our noses at Odessa Permian. And, and we just had never dedicated that kind of uh, time or research to it. And I told Buzz that uh, when I talked to him about Gary Gaines, I thought it was important to talk to him to get his feel for it. You know, they uh, Buzz had become <clears throat> very uh, ingratiated in the town, uh, ingrained in the town, I should say, um, while he was there and people really felt comfortable around him. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was able to get people to say the very honest things they did that were not, uh, did not reflect well on the town itself. Um, but he lived uh, there for the entire season. He lived there right? for an entire year. He lived for his family year. there, right? Yeah. Moved his family there and everything. Uh, he buzz was all in on that story. And, uh, so that was, um, but the, the the problem for Buzz was that Gary Gaines uh, felt betrayed by that, and he told him so. He never read the book, uh, and that's that was to me the ironic thing about it. I just thought uh, here was something. The reaction to to Gary's death at seventy three of Alzheimer's is much too short a life, and affected at least the last ten years of his life, which was just terrible. But uh, at any rate. Uh, he got a 900-word obit in the New York Times. Uh, I, I don't think that happens very much with former Texas high school football coaches. Uh, but this is the kind of attention that that uh, was provided to him because of the book, because of the movie, and, and ultimately the TV show, which really had nothing to do with the with the uh, town of Odessa at all. Uh, that was just kind of a, a derivative of the of the name, and, that, and that's all it was. Um, but at any rate, uh, Buzz felt bad about it and tried to make amends with Gary, uh, at least on one occasion. And it, and Gary was very polite to him, but it just didn't it didn't work. He was just not gonna he was just not gonna forgive him for that. Uh, he just felt betrayed by by the whole thing, uh, which was is sad, obviously, and uh, it was certainly sad to Buzz. Uh, he he didn't want it to end that way. And the interesting thing about it is that you will not find a player. Uh, I have never heard a player. I talked to two of them myself. Uh, you've never heard a player say that what Buzz wrote wasn't true. Uh, they, they all say, yeah, it's it all true. 
Uh, so I trust Buzz's reporting and all that. So it was it was uh, two different kinds of stories to write about, uh, both involving deaths. And uh, so that's that's always difficult. But uh, it does show you what high school football can mean in a town. Uh, and uh, and that is uh, that is what Texas high school football is. It's it's the state religion. There's no question in my mind about that. And it's fun to watch what it what it does in these towns i uh, for for good or ill i i think that that texas high school football is a good thing i think it does matter in towns i've seen what it can mean to a campus and to a community uh when when people do get behind it well i just they were two magnificent stories and i hope people do take some time to to go back on the on the website and and search for them if they haven't read them uh not only are they just good stories but if you do live here in Texas and, and you don't know these stories, um, a, a guy with you with your kind of institutional knowledge of, of the matter really adds a different level. So a lot of applause from this from this corner. I appreciate that. Very nice. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about in college football. Uh, we we also have uh, a couple of developments here. And, uh, you know, everybody always wants to know who the starting quarterback is going to be uh, at uh, Texas. A couple of weeks ago, Steve Sarkeesian said that Quinn Ewers was going to be his starting quarterback, which was not a surprise to anybody except maybe Hudson Card, uh, who was also in the running for that position. Uh, and at Texas A&M, we found out this week uh, that uh, Haynes King, who was the starting quarterback last season for about, oh, I don't know, a couple of quarters anyway, until he broke his leg. Um, and then was out for the season. Uh, a lot of people assumed, including me, that Max Johnson, the uh, transfer from LSU, would just step right in and become A&M starting quarterback. And that was not the case. That's not what happened, uh, which was very interesting to me uh, on a couple of fronts. One, we, we saw uh, Jimbo Fisher say that, well, Haynes knows the offense. It's a complicated offense. He knows it backwards and forwards. Uh, he was here all this last year, and even when he was out after breaking his leg, he still was a part of everything. He was a leader. You know, he uh, the, the team really rallied around him, and he rallied with the team last year in what was kind of a breakout season for the Aggies. And third, and to me that's the most interesting part of all this, he's just a more athletic quarterback than Max Johnson. He's got good feet. He can run. He's supposedly one of the three fastest players on the team, and – if if Jimbo Fisher is going to let his quarterback run a little bit, he didn't didn't really do that with Kellen Mond, and I always thought that was one of the biggest faults of all that. Kellen Mond's a very athletic quarterback, and he just didn't cut him loose enough. Uh, if he's going to let Haynes King run a little bit, then I think the Aggies may have really may really have something uh, there this year. This could be a, a a big time season in which they could compete for the college football playoff. I I just don't think you're going to get there thinking that your quarterback's going to stand in the pocket and fire away. I don't think they have enough of that kind of uh, talent at wide receiver. They do have some talent, but not enough of that. And I think it's going to require Haynes King to make some plays with his feet. So that will be interesting to see how that develops uh, from the A&M side. On the, on the Texas side with Quinn Ewers, Evan, I think you found out something that was interesting in a, uh, a tweet last night. Did you not? Yeah, um, Anwar Richardson from Orange Bloods uh, tweeted that a UT official had told him that Steve Sarkeesian doesn't plan. While we do know that Quinn Ewers apparently will be the starting quarterback, we don't know anything else about the Texas depth chart because Steve Sarkeesian 
um, is not planning to release a depth chart before the season opener, nor is he planning to do that um, at any point during the season, according to this tweet, which leads to this question. Is, is, is this important information or not? Depth chart information? Yeah. You know, fans love it, obviously, and I don't understand that. And that's that should be enough for you right there. Play to your fan base a little bit. Let them know that this is what you want to, you know, you want to do. It, it seems to be a pretty, you know, easy thing to do, right? I mean, but we've seen college coaches in particular in the last few years, you know, now most coaches won't talk about injuries at all, right? Uh, so now not only are you not talking about the injury factor, now you're not even saying – who might be next in line to fill in here if somebody is hurt? And let's uh, just, I mean, I don't, maybe you guys know better than I, but I don't believe these depth charts are binding contracts. Are they? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't absolutely determine how you're going to play a guy. I've always felt that they're nothing more than reference sheets and something for fans to, to talk about, but they're not necessarily the be all or end all of how guys are going to be used. Yeah, I don't know why you would. That's what I said. This is just for the fans, right? Just, just throw them this bone. Why? Why does this have to be so difficult? Uh, I don't know why. At Texas, you know, that has been kind of the case. So that's just been building now. Steve Sarkeesian has has not really made himself available to the media there at uh, <clears throat> Texas. You know, he has his press conferences, and there's not really a walk off. There's no one on ones. You know, it's just becoming more and more distant from everybody there in Austin. And, and I really don't, I just really don't understand it. And let me just say about that, you know, we say the, the, he hasn't made himself available to the media and I know what people's reaction is. We don't care about whether or not he talks to the media. We want them to go out and win. I understand all that, but the media is basically the conduit through which the coach relates to the fans and whether that's through releasing depth charts or whether it's through quotes or whatever, that's how you relate to the fans. That's how you converse with your fans, how you speak to them. And the more obstacles you put up, I just feel like the less room for error or growth you create for yourself. Well, it's just, and that's just more of the same thing. I'm not going to say that, that the media is going to be harder on you. If you, if you're not, at least just giving me a you know one on one here occasionally. I'm what I am saying is that they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And <laughs> it, but that goes for fans too. Well, sure. If you're if you're not going to, you know, we're all just human, right? If if a guy is you know a really good guy, but he's not, then the team's not doing that well. well it makes it a little harder to criticize him, right? Uh, but if the guy's you know losing and he's not talking to me anyway, it's like what do I care? I will just go ahead well, and tee he, off now. And you know? if I'm a fan and he's not talking and he's not giving answers, I'm like, well, what do I need this guy for? You right. know? Well, ultimately, you got to win. That's the bottom line. That's, yeah. And that's what most fans, all they care about. Correct. You're just not helping yourself any. And that's the thing about all of this that just seems funny to me is that you don't need to make yourself seem like you're up on this tower. Uh, maybe that's a bad expression to use at Texas. Yeah. Well, that, let's oh, say, yeah. That's, let, let's say you're up and on a hill, oh, and I'm soon. just I'm just away from everybody else here. You know, and I, 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 I we're we're just well, that's we're not good either. Too, like loose. a knoll. Well, okay. I did not say a grassy knoll. I did no. not say that either. Okay, boy, David, I you're so no, dark. No, no, no. But, but before I know we need to uh, get to the Rangers here. We want to get to the but but the other thing, Kevin, piggybacking off of what you said, you know, and it's not just. It's not just 
the human nature of, oh, he talks to us, he's a good guy, any of that. It is to fully explain the rationale behind the decision so you can explain it to fans. Because, look, I know everyone wants to put everything, every decision, and this was a great decision or a bad decision. They're an idiot or they're, they're a genius. But let's face it, most decisions can go either way. And this is about explaining the rationale behind what you're doing. And if the people who make those decisions don't give you the time to discuss that and get a feel for it, we can only report from our observation without putting in their input. So I just never, I've just never understood why I I get it from a control standpoint and it's all about control. Right. And then they can say, well, Kevin Sherrington doesn't know what he's talking about. He didn't talk to me on this. Well, maybe so, but maybe if you would have talked to Kevin Sherrington, he would have explained the nuances that went into the decision that put why you made what turned out to be a bad decision in a more favorable light. Right. I think you can always you can always look at it as an opportunity to educate fans, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, because ultimately my belief is you're the coach. You've got data. You've got access to analytics and knowledge of injuries and knowledge of usage that is far deeper than anything I could put together. And the more that you are willing to explain, the more I can explain why that move was sound. It just didn't work, and sometimes that happens. But I also know what the social media world is like, and you can explain to them things over (laughs) and over and over again, a la Kevin talking about the John Daniels-Nolan Ryan relationship, and me too, and nobody ever accepting what the facts were. So people are going to believe what they want to believe, and they're more than happy to make really knee-jerk reactions in sports, whether they're right or wrong. Yeah, that's right. You know, that was the thing about Mac Brown at Texas. He always got it. Uh, uh, you could – Mac would be chewing on your ear as you're walking out the door. Uh, but it, it – uh, Yeah, but was Mike never... Tyson did the same thing. Oh, my gosh. All right. Here we go. Dark again. <laughs> you guys have got to, to be trying to be more on the bright side like Evan was talking about before the – I thought that was pretty good. I like that one. I'm kind of making myself laugh. Can we talk about the Rangers now? (laughs) Let's see. Speaking of laughing, uh, let's let's talk about the Rangers. Uh, You know, over the weekend, they trotted out a couple of old-timers, Dallas Keuchel and Koei Arihara, and, man, I hadn't seen such a shelling since the opening (laughs) scenes of Saving Private Ryan. Holy cow. Okay, now you're talking about us. (laughs) Oh, my God. Gosh. Okay. What has happened? I'll oh. just throw that in there. But, but you know, let me just say this. Uh, Listen, after the game, after the game, before, Evan, before you talk, after the game, Dallas Keuchel, referring to a, a performance in which in five and a third innings, he gave up 11 hits and seven runs. Yeah, it was death by a thousand cuts. A lot of soft contact. It's like, I don't care how much of it is soft contact, pal. It's 11 hits you gave up against the worst offensive team in baseball, dinks and doinks. Dinks and doinks. Um, listen, I, I will say this: there were some, there were some older old timers that ran out this weekend. However, that was at City Field in New York, where they were playing a sanctioned old timers game <laughs> with the likes of Dwight Gooden and and, uh, and and Al Leiter actually on the mound. But no, this is where the Rangers are, and I mean, I, I think if we're breaking down the pluses and minuses of this season, the fact that right now Dallas Keuchel and Kohei Arihara are in this rotation without sliding either one of these guys, it speaks to the fact that the Rangers have not had their upper-level 
young pitchers really grasp on to rotation spots. And that has been a big miss this season. And to the extent that, you know, I think Dane Dunning, you would, you would probably have said last year pretty much kind of, you know, at least created a toehold for himself in the rotation. And this year seems to have gone backwards a little bit. Uh, it's, it, for me, is the single biggest uh, bust in terms of what this team did in any area this year is that it did not develop its own young pitching at the top of the system. Now, there's plenty of stories a little bit lower beneath beneath the top of the system that are positive. But at the top of the system, you didn't graduate Colwyn to the big leagues, and I don't think you will in September. Um the guy that you acquired, Spencer Howard, has not ever gotten any any ground anywhere. Glenn Otto has been okay, but he's I, I don't think anybody is sitting here saying Glenn Otto is going to be uh, a number four or number five in this rotation. So it, it's been something of a washout on that front. All right, let's look at it from this standpoint then, Evan. Give us uh, – you, you've talked about the things that didn't work out, uh, and certainly that has been the biggest problem this year. They did not – determine any young pitchers no young pitcher step forward you did have an old pitcher step forward you, you had martin perez become something that they were not expecting at all in which he had the best season of his career and if they don't re-sign him at this point signing to an extension that is going to be a huge mistake in my mind because you're going to be able to get him for a reasonable price you're not going to be able to find another veteran free agent pitcher on the market i don't think that's any better than that for for what the rangers can offer and uh, and you might as well start there. Uh, and so that would give you two with John Gray. They still have three openings in that uh, rotation, and they have no clue about who those three guys might be other than Dane Dunning. I, I would I would grant you that Dane Dunning is probably going to be in the rotation next year. I don't have an idea about four and five. Look, you can contend for a playoff spot um, if Dane Dunning or Glenn Otto ends up being your number five you can probably contend for a playoff spot. You're not going to contend for a world championship, but you can probably contend for a playoff spot. Um, they need two starters to go to the middle, to the middle, to top half of the rotation. That's it. it it's that simple. Um, and they've said as much, right? Chris Young has said as much. Ray Davis basically said as much when he, when he announced the firing of John Daniels, that that would be a priority. That is their number one priority. And quite, and, and right now, I look at their lineup and I look at what they're running out there on the field or what they will run out there on the field, and I feel pretty good about it. You know, I, Jonah Heim is has established himself as an everyday catcher, and they've got a guy behind him and Sam Huff that is still is still growing, but has the ability to be an everyday catcher. Nathaniel Lowe, I think, has been as big a growth spot for the Rangers this year as they've had. He's pushing 850 on his OPS right now. Uh, since the 1st of May, he's been in the top four in the American League in just about every category. He's hitting velocity better. Uh, he has taken a big step forward. And given the fact that he played 150 games last year in his first full year in the big leagues, that was one of the guys that you were like on the fence. What does Nate Lowe, what does Nate Lowe bring? Um, we need to see it. His defense is always going to be a little bit below average to below average, but if he's if he's OPSing at eight hundred or eight fifty, he's he's worthwhile in the lineup. He's a success story. There's no question Correct. about that. Simeon and Seager, that's your middle infield. I expect to see Josh Young at third base every day 
for at the minimum the last three weeks of the season, if not all of September. Uh, I, I think that's that's going to be the case. Explain to everybody about the the uh, the number of at bats and well, he he can still qualify as a rookie next year. Yeah, I I, I, I think the uh, the issue would be you want to keep him under 130 at bats because that's what will retain his rookie status. And it's not just about um, the prestige of winning rookie of the year. Now, there's real incentive to finishing in the top two in rookie of the year, both for the player who would qualify for the new bonus pool that's part of the new CBA. Um, and for the team, the team would get an, a, a the equivalent of a first-round draft pick if he wins Rookie of the Year. So you want to keep that in in uh, intact. And if you got him to 150 at-bats this year, well, shame on you. Those 20 at-bats are, are not going to be significant in his development and could cost you big time down the, down the road. Um, I think then if you look around the outfield, you know, whether it's Bubba Thompson or or Ezekiel Duran, you may have an answer in left field long-term, potentially even Josh Smith. But you've got some young, talented, dynamic players you can run out there. Leody Tavares has taken a step forward this year and I think is a regular, everyday player. And then the other real success story is is Adolis Garcia, who had a great first half last year, really plummeted off a cliff uh, in the second half, and this year has shown himself to be a much more complete hitter that 23-game hitting streak that, that he just completed was a real work of progress. And, and this is a guy who, at again, if he's OPSing at 750 or above with the quality of defense that he plays, this is an everyday contributor for this team. So I don't feel all that strongly that there needs to be a lot of work done to address the lineup. But, yeah, the Rangers have got to make the, the, the starting pitching uh, a real priority going into the offseason. So on that line, then, uh, there was talk, and, and certainly this is one of the things that uh, Ray Davis even mentioned, was a middle-of-the-bat lineup and then pitching. I, I think that the middle-of-the-bat lineup would be really good, but it's not a priority for me. Uh, to me, the priority is is you you just got to get two more pitchers. You've got to sign two more pitchers at this point. And then, yeah. and then what you have to hope is that among all these young guys we're going to bring to camp, that one of them ends up being the fifth guy, and then the, the rest of them are the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth guys that we're going to have to use over the course of the season. I think you're you're at a point where if you can sign two players um, that aren't going to cost you depth in terms of minor leaguers, you don't have to trade guys, you can, you can keep that depth, and you will have a real depth pool going forward, um, and you will have a legitimate rotation. If Ray Davis has the money to go out and, and add a middle of the bat, middle of the lineup bat, great. You know, Michael Conforto, a healthy Michael Conforto might fit real well here. Brandon Nimmo might fit real well here. Um, somebody like that would be would be nice to have. But the priority is get the starting pitching into a position where things can fall into place for this team. All right. I think that's going to do it for our uh, podcast this week, fellas. We appreciate you taking the time. We hope that uh, everybody has enjoyed it. And uh, and we hope that uh, next week when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what the Cowboys are going to do. We're, we're all going to have our predictions for the season. We're going to have all that honed and ready to go. Uh, hopefully the Cowboys will have done some things this week to uh, firm up some of our positions and what we're going to take. And also, we'll have a better idea of what the the college and and uh, and high school landscape looks like. And 
maybe even the Rangers as well. So and, from and everybody, we'll tell, and here, we'll tell listeners our depth chart for this podcast. That's that's right, uh, and and because we're missing along the way. They really don't. They know that I'm the starter, and <laughs> everything else really just falls. Really in doesn't line. matter. It's irrelevant in your yeah, mind. A, we're all yeah. irrelevant. That's what. That's sort of what our bosses would say. Uh, <laughs> so from everybody in here and everybody out there, y'all have a good one. We love you. See ya. Bye. <laughs>